So have you ever wanted to give up? You ever just want to stop doing whatever you were thinking you're called to do? I had a time uh, where that happened to me when I just wanted to quit. And it wasn't like I'm a poor sport, I want to quit. It was just, okay, if this is what you want, God, then that's what we're going to do. You know, it's weird, too, because there's a time when the church is going well. There's people becoming Christians. Missionaries being sent. Everything you would say is, for the most part, you'd say, it looks like things are good. The hard thing was, again, you know, culture wasn't exactly on our side. It was difficult to live and work in a place where the city doesn't necessarily want your message of Christianity. And so it got to a point where you just said, God, if this is the end of it, that's fine. I'm okay. It, it didn't help that just before this, uh, one of my best friends died. Someone who I grew up with. We became Christians together. We learned to follow Jesus together. It was a hard time. And I knew that I was probably next. You see, because the guy who killed my best friend was this guy named Herod, the king. Herod Agrippa. <laughs> he saw that people loved killing James. It's written down in your Bibles in Acts chapter 12, I think. Once James was killed and he had me arrested because he saw the people were pleased. I was locked into a jail cell and it was on Passover week. Couldn't help but to remember that just a couple years earlier on Passover, Jesus was arrested, placed in the same cell. They crucified him. They even put guards around him. But that couldn't keep him down. So this time on Passover, when I'm arrested, they wanted to make sure nothing was going to happen. So they chained one soldier to my left arm and one to my right arm and locked us inside a jail cell. Then they put another soldier on the gate outside of our door and another one on the another gate outside of that and every six hours, they switched the guards and said, this guy is not going anywhere. And I was there at night, and I was completely at peace. I was ready to be done. My life had changed a lot. If you know anything about the, my story, is I'm kind of a passionate person. Sometimes I say things that, probably shouldn't have said, <laughs> just passionate and excited. And There was even a time when I told Jesus, hey, if everyone abandons you, I don't care if a whole world turns their back on you, I never will. I will die for you right now, right here. <laughs> he looked at me and he said, uh, actually, you're going to deny me three times tonight. And I just said, I know you're the son of God and all, but you're wrong. I'm not going to do that. Later that night, in the very same courtyard, I was sitting there with and saw Jesus, and I denied him. He was right. I thought that was the end. 
And then after he, Jesus rose, he took me aside and built my confidence back up. In fact, he said, hey, Peter, if you love me, I'm going to have you lead my church. I want you to lead the disciples, all of the followers of Jesus. You're going to do that. That's what I think of you, Peter, not the one who denied me. So my life had changed a lot, and now as I'm sitting in that jail cell, the dim light of the torches outside of the dark cell were flickering, and a few years before this, I would be outraged, but I was at peace. I knew that kind of the same idea that a guy named Paul writes later on, he said something like, for me, if I'm alive, I'm going to live for Christ. But if I die, hey, that's a gain. It's even better. I was reflecting on the scriptures in Isaiah chapter 26. When Isaiah was writing and said that he will keep in perfect peace those whose mind are steadfast on you, O Lord, who trust in the Lord. So trust in God, your rock. That was, I was reflecting on that and said, I'm ready to quit. I'm ready to be done, Lord. I'm ready to be with you. And I was at peace. In fact, so much so, I slept soundly. I was asleep. I was out cold. A and then in the middle of the night, someone starts shining a light in my eyes, and then they poked me in the side and jabbed me in the side. And I thought, what is this? I thought it was one of the soldiers trying to make my life miserable. It was kind of like when your brother comes in at, the ni at night and needs to wake you up for the early morning fishing session. And you won't do it gently, but they poke you in the side. That's exactly what happened. I thought, Wh what are you doing? And there was somebody standing there in the jail cell. He said, get up. Put on your cloak. So I got up. I put on my cloak. I assume this is a pretty good dream. I didn't even realize that the shackles were no longer on my arms. In fact, I didn't even realize the soldiers who were sitting awake next to me didn't see me get up because it was just one of those dreams. The guy who was standing there said, follow me. And as we started walking, the first jail cell door opened and we walked out. We kept walking until we finally went outside of the fortress, and we walked the length of the entire street together. And I thought, this is just an interesting dream. And you know that point in a dream when you get to where you realize you're dreaming and you kind of catch on that you're dreaming, and then you try to control it a little bit? I was just getting to that point like, oh, this is a good dream. And then the guy leading me left. He disappeared. I looked around, and I realized I was standing outside in the streets of Jerusalem. The jail cell was over there. The doors were closed, and this wasn't a dream. I was actually out there, and I thought, what just happened? I knew where a lot of my friends would be because it's a place we'd often go. One of the Christians, his name was John Mark, and his mom had this house in the upper city. It was this sweet pad, really big house, so the church would gather there. So I ran there in the middle of the night, and I could see through the window there was the dim light again of the candles burning, the oil lamps burning, and I knew the church was there, and I knew they were praying. I assumed they were there because just 
The week before, we were doing the same as we prayed for James and his life. We were praying for the church. So I knocked on the door on the outside. And Rhoda, she uh, works in the house. She came down and said, who is it? And I said, it's me. It's Peter. And she said, no, no, Peter's in jail. No, it's me. She looked through the opening in the door and saw me. She was so overfilled with joy that she took off, went back in to tell everyone while leaving me standing out in the street. Apparently, she ran in and told them, hey, guys, Peter's out there. And they said, Rhoda, uh, you're dreaming. <laughs> you're wrong. No, I swear I saw him. They said, no, it's, it's just his angel. He can't be there. He's locked in the prison. He is going to die. She said, I just come, look, it's Peter. So they ran down, they saw me, and they said, well, if it's Peter, let's open the door. They opened the door, I came in, and we just had a great time that night. Thanking God and praising God for his provision. And I remember, I was thinking back to what happened just the week before with James as we were praying for him. But our prayers didn't end in rejoicing that night. James died. So I kind of had this moment to think, well, why did God answer these prayers? And as we talked, we realized, too, that no one in the room was expecting God to answer this prayer. They knew, we all knew he could. But see, we started modeling our prayers off of the way Jesus prayed when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane before he died. Luke wrote about it, just like he wrote about what I'm telling you. This story's the same, and he, or this, the, the story's similar in that we were praying, and Jesus was praying intensely, just like our church would pray intensely. And Jesus' prayer was, Father, I know what you want me to do, but I don't really want to do it. <laughs> I don't really want to go to the cross. If there's any other way, Let's take a different way. But then Jesus prayed, but not my will, but yours be done. You see, as a church, we started, we learned to pray that way. We began to pray, God, not our will, but yours be done. If your will is that Peter is set free, then that's great. But whatever it is, prepare our hearts, God, for what you want to do. We know your church is unstoppable. We know that nothing will get in the way. So uh, prepare us to be who you want us to be. That was our prayer. And so that night when I was set free, it wasn't what we were expecting. But we rejoice, of course. And we pray, God, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If this is what you want, this is what we want. Let us be available and ready for you. So before dawn broke, everyone said, Peter, it's probably a good idea you leave. So I left Jerusalem. Later that day, it didn't go so well uh, as Herod woke up and found that I was gone. Herod, being the tyrant that he was, went to the guards and soldiers and said, what happened here? They said, we no." We swear, nothing. We were here. We were awake the whole night. He's just gone. And Herod said, I don't believe you. You're with them. And he had them all executed and killed. 
See, everywhere Herod went, death followed. First James, now his own soldiers. As the story went on, Herod actually went to the capital city in Caesarea, went back to his palace. One day he went into this Colosseum that was built there. He had his throne established there, and as he went in, the crowd saw him and began worshiping him and saying, oh, this is the voice of a God, not a man. And Herod just received the praise. He received the worship. Because in his mind, he said, I have the power of life and death. In his mind, he said, I can send food to cities that need food, and I can keep away, keep it for ourselves. I, can't, I am like God. I am a God. And he received their praise. This guy who had my friend James killed, the guy who was going to have me killed, this tyrant was being worshipped as God, and he received that praise. Then something happened to him, and this was written in, in your Bibles, but also by a, a historian named Josephus wrote the same thing. This guy wasn't even a Christian, but he's a historian, wrote about Herod and said that something happened that day when they worshipped him that he fell ill. He got sick. They rushed him to his palace, and five days later, after five miserable, grueling days, he died. I love the way Luke wrote about it, the way he said it. You've probably read it in your own Bibles. Luke has a way with words. He said, oh, Herod was eaten by worms and died. I love that. And as you know, in our world, in our culture, when you say that, that was often reserved for saying it's the death of a tyrant who deserved to die. It was just a phrase he used. I couldn't help but to think that after that, Herod, the one who thought he held the keys to life and death, experienced that he didn't have the power. And yet right after that, the word of God went forth and couldn't be stopped. It kept growing and growing. And the word from our God brings life to the ends of the earth continues day after day. It was unstoppable. You know, as I think of this, I think of what encouragement can I give for you today on a story like this? What's an encouragement that you can think about and take back with you and say, this, this is how we can face our cultural moment? Because I don't think you're going to be put into jail. I don't think... Your friends will have their heads chopped off like mine's, mine did. But I know that there's days it's just hard to follow Jesus. I know there's times when you think, I just want to be done. So what's the encouragement I can leave for you? The church that's a part of the church that I got to start 2,000 years ago, that I was a part of this unstoppable movement. There's a couple things. One, be a community of hope. Be that community that brings hope to the world because that's what your friends need. That's what your family needs. That's what your government leaders need. 
They need to see a group of people who is welcoming, a group of people who will love them despite their weaknesses. They need to see a group of people who will take someone like me, this passionate, loudmouth guy who has a tendency to stick his foot in his mouth and to say, there is a place even for you. They need a community of people that even for those who are here, who come among you and feel broken, they feel hurt, they feel damaged, unworthy, that they can sit in your midst and feel cherished, important. They can feel like they are the child that God has made them. Be that community of hope. Be that crazy community that everyone else will look at and say, I don't understand how much you love or how you love, but that's what God has poured out for you. So pour it out for one another. Free of all judgment. Radical hospitality. Lavish love for one another. Be that community. That's what we realized was the one thing that we could offer that no one else could. And that came from the life that was from Jesus. The other encouragement I want to give you is this. Be a community of prayer. Be a community of prayer. Pray intensely. And this isn't a prayer that's saying, God, we're going to make you do what we want. But as you pray, you start to see what God, your heart lines up with his. So be a community of prayer. Know that you can't do this on your own. Know that you can't make it through without the Spirit of God. I mean, you can fake it for a while. But through prayer, you know, even if you end up in jail, even if your best friend loses his life for the faith, In your community of prayer, you even if those things happen, you know that you're with and, and following the Lord the way he wants, where he leads you, what the Spirit's doing in your life. I believe that the church has been unstoppable because the Spirit of God continues to move among people like you and me. So be that community. Invite the Spirit to move. Invite the Spirit to transform and change lives. And finally, friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that you may face. Don't be surprised at the sufferings that you may share in, just as in the sufferings of Christ. And know that those sufferings are nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed the glory of sharing in your life with your Savior who gave his life for you. Let's pray. God, I pray for your church. I pray, God, that in a season, in a time when there's, it feels like we want to just quit, Lord, I pray that you would bring encouragement pray that you bring the peace that passes all understanding. God, I pray that you would revive our hearts and our lives and revive our community with a fresh movement of your spirit. God, I pray that you would move as you've moved before.
Lord, I pray that you would take this time, this cultural moment, as a time for your church to shine. So, Lord, I pray that you'd bring hope to everyone in this place. You teach this church how to love one another well, how to love this community well. Demonstrate your power, your grace, your compassion, your kindness. So, God, we ask that this would not be the same church it was a year ago. We ask that this would be a church experiencing a fresh move of your spirit. A part of the unstoppable movement that started 2,000 years ago, Lord. So we pray that you'd revive our hearts in this place. Through your power and your strength.